This episode brought to you by Healthier You. Are you living the healthiest version of you? Hi, this is registered dietitian and Run Disney race announcer, Carissa Galloway, and I'm excited to share some information about the course I created. It's called Healthier You. In my talking and working with runners, they're always asking about ways to improve their health, nutrition, and for weight loss. I took everything I've learned as a registered dietitian and made it into this easy-to-navigate 12-week course. You're getting meal plans, you're getting nutrition education, you're getting recipes, and you're getting live monthly Q&A sessions with me where you can ask your personalized questions. We've had over 200 Healthier You participants this year, and so many of them are sharing great stories of success with how simple it is to use the program and how it's made huge improvements in their energy and nutrition choices. I'd love for you to join Healthier You, and you can use the code Jeff. J-E-F-F to save $175. You can go to GallowayCourse.com or find the link in the show notes and follow me on Instagram for more information at Carissa underscore G-Way. This episode is brought to you by Fidipides and BFF. That is the best massage tool that I have ever found for reviving muscles and also allowing them to recover dramatically faster. Go to Fidipides.com Enter your promo code, which is UCANBFF, at checkout for a $50 discount off your purchase. I think it's important for, you know, listeners that, you know, even, you know, I ended up running in two Olympic Games, set American record in the half marathon, but my start was not anything to write home about. If you would have watched me run that run, you'd been like, ooh, this is ugly. This guy's not making running look fun, you know? You can do it. Run it this day. Today on the podcast, we have Ryan Hall. He's the fastest American to ever run a marathon. He's the American record holder in the half marathon, along with many other accolades, including, similar to Jeff, he is an Olympian and the holder of the American record in the 10-miler, one that my father held just a few years ago. Ryan has transitioned his competitive career to the world of coaching, where he's the coach of his wife, Sarah, who's had some incredible races as of late, including a race that was just off Dina Castor's American record in the marathon. Ryan, we're so glad to have you here. Welcome. Uh, It's a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. So let's go back to the start of your illustrious running career and would like you to talk a little bit about how you got into running and why running and did you have any early success? Yeah, so I hated to run actually, like did not like it at all. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. That was uh, kind of my childhood dream, you know, so I'd spend hours and hours throwing baseballs against a tarp that my dad had set up for me in our side yard. And that was that was my big goal, my big dream. The problem was I was five foot tall, 100 pounds in eighth grade, and even going into high school, I was that same size. So you can imagine that's not the ideal frame to be a professional baseball player. So I had a lot of heart, but the heart was only getting me so far. I was getting teed off on, um, you know, I was pitching out on the mound. So um, it kind of started one day. I was in eighth grade going out to a basketball game, and um, I grew up in Big Bear Lake, Southern California. There's a beautiful 15-mile around it uh, lake in 
in my hometown. And I remember just looking out over the lake and just being like filled with this like desire to try and run around the lake. And looking back on it, I kind of describe it as like, I feel like it was something like a seed God had planted inside me, you know, but at the time it just kind of felt like a crazy idea. And so I went out and I'd never gone for a real run before, but my dad was into running and, uh, you know, he did triathlons and he actually played baseball collegiately as well. So he'd always been like into athletics, but he was currently kind of like getting into more and more into running and run some marathons. I think he actually read some of Jeff Galloway's stuff because he's, he's oh, talked on. about Jeff quite a bit. So, um, so I had seen him run. So I, I went home and I told him, I was like, Hey, I want to try and run around the lake in my hometown. And he was like, are you sure you want to do that? That's a long run for your first run, you know? Um, but yeah, I was so grateful. My dad was just like, all right, well, if that's what you want to do, like, let's do it together. So we went up the next Saturday, I laced up my basketball shoes, which don't make great running shoes and went for a long, painful run around the lake. And, uh, the rest is history. That's, I was hooked after that moment. And like I said, I think it's important for, you know, listeners that, you know, even, you know, I ended up running in two Olympic games, set an American record in the half marathon, but my start was not anything to write home about. If you would have watched me run that run, you'd been like, Ooh, this is ugly. This guy's not making running look fun, you know? So I think that's something that's important to realize. Like, it's not easy for anyone at the beginning, you know, getting out the door is hard and uh, getting started, man, that first run was one of the hardest runs I've ever gone on before. So oftentimes, you know, it's that first step of the journey. that's the hardest, both mentally and physically, because you're not in very good shape. Right. So yeah, that was, that was the launching point for me. You know, I went home, I collapsed on the couch and uh, again, I just kind of felt like I just kind of planted this little seed of desire inside me that, um, you know, to one day run in the Olympics, run with the best guys in the world. And, but I was also filled with this kind of overwhelming sense that I've been given a gift of running a physical talent, but that talent wasn't just about me. It was supposed to be about me, like helping other people. So it was fun to explore both of those different veins. You know, how can I get, how can I cultivate and foster this potential and bring it to its fullest potential? And then at the same time, like, how can I make this? So it's not just about me because you know, any athlete can tell you like athletics can become a very selfish, self-centered thing. And it's very difficult to kind of balance those two things of, you know, Hey, it's not about me, but at the other end, I want to see how good at this thing I can get. And it's this delicate juggling act that all athletes are kind of forced to, to juggle. Well, congratulations to you for making that shift, because as you say, that is a rare shift, but when you start helping other people improve, it unlocks a lot of powerful things inside of you. Way to go. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, like getting messages from people, it's nice, like how connected we can all be even, you know, with COVID, not seeing each other races, but getting Instagram messages of people telling me like, hey, like it was super helpful that you shared this thing on Instagram the other day and I went out and I crushed my run, you know, like when I hear stuff like that, it's like, oh yeah, like that's what it's supposed to be. You know, it's not supposed to be just about me getting good at something. It's supposed to be about me sharing my experiences with other people and, uh, and helping them on their journey as well. I don't know if you had dreams of getting to the MLB, but your early days were in the baseball uh, arena as well. Yeah. I played little league baseball and I played it very badly. Uh, <laughs> was, uh, actually a, a very overweight kid. And so huh. it was quite evident after my first season that I was not going to make the big leagues. And so got to look for something else. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that's really interesting to hear from like everyone's different stories, you know, like you were overweight. I was like underweight and tiny. And yet like, no matter what angle you're coming at it from, it's crazy how like your body adapts to like the training, you know, and the nutrition, you'd get that right. And your body can do like, you might think like, no, there's no way I could never, you know, make it to the Olympic games in the 10,000 meters, you know, being a little bit bigger of a kid, or you might look at your own kids and be like, there's no way they could do that if they look like this now. But, you know, you get the training right and nutrition right and anything's possible. Well, we have the uh, wherewithal inside uh, that was programmed in by our ancient ancestors to cover thousands and thousands of miles a year. And uh, most people don't take advantage of that. But once you get out there long enough, those brain circuits start kicking in. And uh, the run that you did is something that I hear about a lot. That's either a make it or break it run. And for a lot of people, it's a broken run, but not to you. Well, that's the nice thing about doing loop courses. It's like once you get, you know, on the other side of that lake, there's only uh, one way back unless you want to go for a long swim. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So kind of other than your dad, did you have any running idols when you were growing up? Yeah. So like Jim Ryan was a big kind of hero of mine, you know, like being a miler. um, That's kind of how I started out in the sport. And, you know, in running, that's kind of what people know is like how fast you run a mile, how fast you run a marathon, you know? So, and and that's what I did in PE too. Like I had the school record in PE um, for the mile run at my school, but it wasn't very good. You know, I was up at 7,000 feet, but I think I ran like 532 or 527 uh, my eighth grade year, you know, which my wife, Sarah ran faster than I did in eighth grade. So that was, (laughs) that was nothing to write home about. Um, but you know, I grew up doing the mile and obviously, you know, Jim Ryan was the first high school kid to break four minutes for the mile. And just one of those athletes that was so before his time, you know, like it's crazy to see the evolution of our sport, you know, and like, it's changing all the time, you know, things like this new shoe that's come out over the last four years and seeing like world records just dropping left and right and super fast times coming out. And it's, it's crazy, but my mind always goes back to like, man, like if Jim Ryan had like the shoes that the guy set, you know, wearing the, in the 5,000 meters, 10,000 meters. And if he's on a, like a rubberized surface track, not a dirt track, you know, or like when he ran 351, he's by himself, like that entire race, like he didn't have lights, like lighting up around the track as he's running, you know? So I go back to guys like Jim and Jeff and I'm like, if, if, you know, we're doing what we're doing, but the technology is just so much further along and so helpful. Like what could these, like, what could Jim have run? If he's running today, man, he would have been. Yeah. So anyways, Jim Ryan was a huge hero of mine. Um, and, you know, I wanted to break four minutes for the mile when I was in high school. It didn't quite get there. I ran uh, 342 for 1500, which uh, embarrassingly is uh, still my PR to this day. I never PR'd after my senior year in high school, which was kind of part of the problem, actually. I think if I'd gotten faster over short distances, it would have been helpful for my long-term development. But that's a whole nother story. But yeah, Jim Ryan was a big hero of mine. And more also too, like I always looked up to runners in terms of like how they held themselves as well. You know, I think we had a lot of great examples and kind of Jim Ryan, Jeff Galloway, Frank Shorter. We had a lot of great examples of like American 
American guys to look up to during that time. That was such like a classic period of running, you know, so you didn't have to look very far as an American kid coming up in the sport. Um, you know, we did have to dig a little bit because I would say, you know, American distance running at that time, this was like the late nineties, wasn't necessarily in its prime, you know, but we could like kind of reflect back to like, yeah, like the seventies and the eighties and like early eighties, you know, when Americans were like doing well, and it's cool now to see, you know, we've, we've brought the sport back quite a bit um, just over the last, you know, 10 years or so, 10, 15 years. Um, but yeah, Jim Ryan was a huge, huge year of mine, just an amazing, like upstanding person too. Um, I also looked up to Eric Little. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Chariots of Fire, but he was, he was a big hero of mine. And it's crazy to like hear his story. You know, he ran the 400 meters back in like the 1920s, right? right? So it was a while back, but like he could have won the Olympic gold medal. Like he's running times fast enough to win the Olympic gold medal the following Olympics but he chose not to like he chose to go to the missionary field and to help um i forget where he was serving at somewhere in like asia somewhere but he chose to do that instead of running the olympic games so it's people who who are making those kind of decisions you know and putting other people before them that like really really inspired me because i know like as a you know, ex-professional runner how hard that can be it's a great story so to dive in a little bit to the mental aspect of a professional runner. So to Ryan Hall, what does it take to be good? Man. Uh, yeah. So that's a, that I could talk for a long time on that <laughs> one, but I, I think um, consistency, you know, I think that's kind of old school, but <laughs> I tell people like consistency, it's either your worst enemy or your best friend depending on if you're consistently doing the things you need to do to progress towards your goal. You know, it's like, like in running, like they're really, like I talk about like the technology breakthroughs and yes, like you strap on this new shoe and you are going to run a marathon two minutes quicker. Like, but things like that don't come along very often, right? Like that's, that's a very kind of rare thing. Um, But in general to improve, like you just need to be consistent day in day out and have like a good guide, someone who's like watching you train and giving you, feedback from outside yourself, periodizing your training, building rest into your training. I've always said like, it takes way more confidence to rest than to just train like a madman. Like anyone can train like a madman, you know, like most of the time when I was training like a madman, I was actually training out of a place of insecurity. I believed I wasn't good enough. I wasn't going to beat the other guys unless I trained harder than them. And there's something kind of like very machoistic about that being like, no one on this planet is training harder than me. But like what I found is when I was training like that, I actually wasn't running very well because I was so ragged, tired that I was useless on the starting line. So like, it's not enough to just want something really bad and to be willing to work harder than everyone else. You have to be strategic. You have to be wise. You have to build rest into the plan, but more than anything, you got to stay healthy and you got to be consistent in your training. And you became a very consistent runner as you developed to to your top level and are a very good example for what you're talking about. Yeah, I tried to be, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know about for you, Jeff, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but uh, getting on the other side of my professional running career, it's very easy to look back and just see the things that you did wrong, you know? And uh, one of the things that I look back on, and I noticed this, especially because, you know, my better half, Sarah, she does this so well, is listening to her body, you know, like, she's so great at being willing to move workouts around or like train more when she's feeling good or train less when she's not feeling good. And I was so bad at that, you know, I was just like, 
grind till I'm dead. If it's written on the page, I'm going to do it no matter what. I don't care if my leg's about to fall off, you know, and that, that kind of thinking, it just, it's not sustainable for the long term, you know? So like I, my body was willing to do that for a, for a long time. You know, I retired when I was 32. So I'd been running for 20 years or almost 20 years. Um, but you know, you look at Sarah, she's 37 now. I retired five years ago and she just keeps getting faster and faster, you know? And so it's amazing to me, like, how well your body can respond to training when you're more like partnering with it rather than trying to force things to happen. You know, more when like, like one of my coaches or raised tell me this, like let your training come out because he could tell I just have a tendency to want to push to grind, to go harder, you know, when really like your body responds really well to when it's like more controlled and more fluid and more flowing. And it's just something that's just like, you're like releasing it. It's like, you're letting it come out rather than this kind of like hit your head against the wall over and over again, kind of sensation. So, you know, if I could go back, I would, I would definitely be more in tune with my body. And that's what we try and do with run free training. You know, it's, it's largely built around something coach Canova told me when I was working with him briefly is the training plan should follow the athlete, not the athlete follow the training plan. Right. So like, so often, like we want to just stick to the plan no matter what. And that's better than not having a plan at all. But I would say even better than that is having a plan that bends and flex around the athlete and how the athlete's feeling, how the athletes responding to training. Well, congratulations on your success with uh, coaching, Sarah. Um, and that's got to be a tricky uh, tightrope to walk. Uh, tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're 100% right. Um, but I'd say, you know, in anything in life, there's like the yin and the yang, right? Like the good and the bad. And um, in coaching Sarah, I am more in tune with her and how she's feeling than with any compared to any of my other athletes. And not that I'm out of tune with my other athletes. It's just when you're married to someone, it's like, you know, you know, no one else on this planet better than, you know, them, you know? So I can tell, I mean, like, for example, at the London marathon, so I'm watching her go past me. They're doing loops, like 1.3 mile loops. So I get to see her 19 times. And she comes past me at, at some points and like looks over at me, just glances at me for like, two seconds, if that, like a second. And in that glance, I know exactly what's going through your mind. She's like, what do you want me to do right now? Kind of glance, you know? So there's, the, you know, that's one example of like, where like, if another athlete that I have glances at me for a second, I might not know how to interpret that glance, you know? Um, so definitely there's a huge pro in getting to know your athletes super well and, and how they're responding to training and the communication. I see that as being the most crucial thing between athlete and coaches, how well they're communicating. Um, so that's, that's a huge bonus. I'd say, you know, the challenging aspect can just be, um, sometimes, you know, coaches, they make you do things that you don't want to do. And Sarah's, Sarah's good at like listening to me and stuff, but, um, you know, sometimes too, when you're out there doing a workout and you're dehydrated and low energy, and maybe it's not going super great. And, you know, like if it's a coach that you're not married to, like, it's almost like a massage therapist. If they're like wrenching on you super hard, but you don't know them, you just kind of grit your teeth and bear it. You know, you don't really say anything. And whereas like when I'm, if it's, it's your husband, like giving you a super rough massage, you're not liking, you're like, Hey, ah, what are you doing? You're jumping off the table. You know, it's a similar experience to that where the filters aren't quite there sometimes and so things can get a little bit 
dicey um, when workouts are going down and we're communicating without our filters on. <laughs> so we have to, we have to juggle that a little bit, but it's super fun to like get to travel the world together. You know, we were just over in London in the bubble for a week together and just getting to hang out. And obviously, you know, watching her run, it's crazy. You know, it's like when people watch sports on TV, one of the reasons why it's so addicting to do so is because you actually get a similar endorphin rush when you're watching athletes compete on TV as if you're out there yourself, you know, but you're not. And it's the same thing for me when I'm watching Sarah compete. It's like, even though I'm not out there, like I'm literally like getting endorphins, like she's getting endorphins and feeling like, like I, cause I know exactly how she's feeling. So I've been there before, you know, so all these feelings kind of come rushing in and, and, uh, and the emotions that come with that too, you know, like that can be good and bad. It's like, she had a rough one at the Olympic trials because that course was crazy and she was in the wrong shoes that didn't have enough cushion in it. And, and I could see her legs coming apart and that was super hard to watch, you know, and knowing like, ah, as a coach too, you know, watching that and be like, I should have had her in a different shoe. Like that just wasn't the right call. So, you know, there's, it, I, I celebrate her victories like they're my own, but also her losses. I, I, I kind of take them like my own losses as well. So you're, you're not invested in another human being on the planet as much as you're invested in your spouse. So um, it, it makes for a, a very interesting coach athlete relationship for sure. Has she ever fired you as a coach? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Many times, <laughs> many times. Yeah. <laughs> at least, at least like two dozen. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about coaching that you really wanted to get into? I mean, having a, a successful career and then um, was that always your plan or did that just kind of happen? Yeah, it was kind of funny, you know, like I was actually not planning to get into coaching and kind of for stupid reasons, I was just like, man, like everyone like finishes their career, gets into coaching. It's kind of like the typical path. And I didn't want to be typical, you know, but like that was my motivation. Like I don't want to be typical just be, to not follow like the trend, which is stupid. Um, and when I retired though, and then Sarah was getting into marathoning and I just felt like, Hey, like I can really help her here. And plus I'm on the bike watching all of her workouts. And like I said, coaching is so much about like having eyes on your athletes and communicating well with your athletes. So I was like, you know, like I can do a really good job here and it just kind of evolved into, into coaching her. Cause she was working with Steve Magnus before that, which was, was going great. Steve's a great guy. We're still on really good terms with him, but it just kind of became one of those things say, Hey, I'm like I'm here all the time. I know the marathon super well. And so, you know, why not just have this evolve into a, a coaching relationship as well? And then, you know, like, like a random, uh, you know, David, a guy from Stanford University uh, contacted me and wanted me to start coaching him. So I started coaching him. And actually that was even before I coached Sarah and just kind of like, you know, just organically just kind of grew into a thing. And I just kind of fell in love with it, you know, like helping other athletes reach their goals is so much more fulfilling than even reaching your own goals. So just like fell in love with it. And I love just like being in a relationship with people and going with them on the journey and trying to help out however I can. And so um, it's just kind of turned into a passion kind of similar to my running where like, I didn't really like it at first, uh, and then it just kind of turned into something that I was super into. And then, you know, uh, my buddy, Jay Stevenson, he contacted me. He's like, we've been friends for a long time. He's like, hey, have you ever thought about starting a coaching business? I was like, oh, not really. Like, there's already so many good coaching businesses out there. And there are. Um, but what I was really passionate about, like, well, how can we make it about something that's even more than coaching? You know, because 
here's the thing with running. It's like, I've learned sometimes you can do everything right and things still don't go right in the race. You know, it's like you did everything in your power to train super hard, train as smart as possible, get your nutrition right, do everything right. And sometimes it still doesn't go well, you know? And so like, how do we actually help everyone navigate that process? We need like a more holistic approach to training where it's not even just all about the results. And that was kind of my story with my career where it shifted away from like me and results to like me and just becoming as excellent as I could in my craft. And that was so fulfilling for me, you know, like me competing to try to beat other guys or to try and see how good I am, compare myself to other people was never fulfilling, you know, like it can be fun. Like you win sometimes, but then it's never enough. You know, you got to beat the next guy. You got to run a little bit faster. You always think you can run a little bit faster. It's not fulfilling at all, but like me becoming the best version of me was super fulfilling. And so how can I kind of help lead people on that journey, even where we're going through things like what's going on in your head, what's going on in your heart while you're running? Like, how do you become a happy person? Are you good enough? Do you love yourself the same if you're successful in running or if you're not successful in running. And that's really where it's at. Like, that's where I want to lead people where it's like the result is the icing on the cake. It's like, Hey, like if I accomplish my goals, my big dreams I have for running, like amazing, that's such a cool thing, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have to happen. You know, it's not something where like, I'm not good enough unless I achieve this. And so that part, like I get very fired up about, you know, so started run free training, started my podcast and run free uh, podcast. And um, as a way to just kind of go about like going on a journey with people and, and helping to become uh, happy, fulfilled runners that are all, excuse me, they're also going after big goals and big dreams, you know, but who are complete and good enough without it as well. A lot of wisdom there. Yeah. I mean, the mental aspect of running, well, mental health being such a huge thing in our society now and, and what running can help with, but, you know, sports psychologists and, and the, the amount that they play in, in somebody's career, you know, you probably didn't have access to anything like that. Nothing like <laughs> that in my day. But uh, what is it like without logging all the miles now? And, and what are you filling that void with? Yeah, totally. So that was something I was really worried about when I retired from pro running. I was like, I was honestly, I thought I was going to, you know, go through about a depression and it's going to be super hard because it'd been my life, my craft, my passion was going after for 20 years, you know? So for me, like I had to find the reason behind why I love running so much. And as I thought about like, why do I love running so much? it really kind of came down to like, I love physical challenge. Like I always have since I was a little kid, whether it's like me competing against my brothers to see who can carry the most firewood to the truck or like running down a mountain, racing my little brothers on a hike, you know, like it was always just about like, I just love pushing myself. I love just doing hard physical things, you know? So if I'm not going to do that through running, what, how can I do that? And for me, like I found the weight room, like right away when I first retired from running. And that was just like a fun way for me to turn it into a hobby. You know, it's not like my job. I'm not like competing at it. I'm not trying to be a, a you know pro power lifter or anything like that. But it's just a fun way for me to stay true to who I was, which was like, I'm a person who craves physical challenge. I need to push myself physically every day to be a healthy individual and running 
I mean, sorry, weightlifting met that need for me when running no longer could. And that, that made my transition so much better. Um, it was also like a very necessary kind of a uh, physical change for me, you know, like running is so catabolic, especially at the levels I was doing that was the unhealthy level. And I was flirting with some unhealthy body weight, um, where I was getting super lean. I got too light. It got down to 127 pounds at five foot 10 and I raced my best at 137. So I was like 10 pounds underweight and, and keeping a low body weight for too long. So I, you know, I did a lot of things wrong. Um, but my body was just like craving, like give back to me, like do something anabolic in nature, build me up, like through nutrition, through weights, through strength training, like give me something back here. Cause like, it was just clap. My body's literally collapsing on me, you know? Like I couldn't go finish a 30 minute run. I'd go out, I'd jog 15 minutes and walk back. So I just felt so fatigued, so tired. And, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, well, you know, I should have probably just taken a three month break from running and then, you know, come back in a healthier state, got my nutrition, right. Got my weight, right. And I might've come back and been, been able to, you know, get in a better groove and, and made a comeback out of it. But once I started down the weight train, I just kind of fell in love with that because you can go hard in the weight room, like every single day. Whereas in running, you know, you're only doing hard workouts like three, two times a week. And in the weight room, you know, I just give myself three rest days between every single muscle group, but I'm hitting a different muscle group like every fourth day, you know? So like today, like I was doing shoulders and, and a tricep and I can go as hard as I want. because I'm not going to hit shoulder and tricep again for another four days, you know? So I just love like going hard. I love being under a whole bunch of weight and not knowing if I can move it. I love failing too. Like I fail in the weight room every single day. I try and move more weight than I can actually move. And, uh, and that's such a, I think a great principle from running that people in athletics in general, that's so valuable for kids to learn is how, how to look at failure. You know, like my view of failure shifted from like when I was a kid looking at my failures and being like, I failed, therefore I'm a failure. And it changed to like failure is actually very helpful and like an essential thing to happen so I can reach my goal so that I can grow so I can get stronger. Failure is actually like the resistance I need to get better at something. So my, my perspective of failure has gotten to such a more healthy spot through, through my 20 year running career. And now I have to fail. I just love it. So um, getting in the weight room was super helpful in me kind of transitioning away from running and my energy came back feel a lot better walking around. I'm a better dad, a better husband, have more energy for my athletes and coaching and all the stuff I'm doing. And I'm uh, just super grateful that I was kind of able to look back and, and understand some things about me and, and what I really love about running and how do I keep those things in, in my life, even if I can't run anymore. Great perspective. Yeah. What, what role do you see, um, running playing in your exercising future or does it? Play <laughs> well, that's a great question. You know, I, I kind of crave adventure every once in a while. So, uh, I was it like six weeks ago or a couple of months ago, I ran my first ultra marathon. Um, so I ran 40, it was 43 miles, wow. uh, here in Crested Butte. And it had like, I think it was 7,000 feet of elevation gain in it. So kind of a crazy course went up to 12,000 feet, but I didn't really train for it. So I only ran like, I think six times before that run. And I'm talking about like six times over the course of 2020. So, and, and the longest one of those was, I think I did a 
eight mile run maybe. Um, so I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't run much anymore. And I, you know, the ultra did not go well. I mean, it did like, I, like I finished, which was the goal. It went, it went better than I was expecting it to go. But in terms of like performance, I mean, I was, you know, middle of the pack guy, if not towards the back of the pack. And, you know, there was a lot of walking involved. So um, I definitely, you know, ate my piece of humble pie as, as I was expecting to, when you don't train for something, you know? So all that to say, you know, like I do mix in, you know, some runs here and there, but I don't do a ton of running anymore. Um, you know, with weightlifting and strength training, um, it's pretty difficult to get bigger and stronger when you're running a lot at the same time. So, you know, I have a hard enough time putting on weight, even when I'm not running, I just have to be eating all the time. So I, I try and limit my running to be honest, just so I can go after my goals kind of in the weight room. I want to get my deadlift up to 500 pounds. Um, I'm up to like 470 right now. So I'm, uh, I just, I'm like 30 pounds shy. So I keep working on that. And so I kind of have some fun, like kind of hobby goals I'm going after, but running doesn't often mix into it, but it's crazy. Like you can stay pretty cardio fit just from doing weights, you know, like, like I said, I didn't really train for this ultra and I still ran most of the way, you know, and I can still like go out for some easy runs with Sarah, which I'll do before her marathons occasionally, most of the time I'm on, I'm on the bike, like 99% of the time, but occasionally I'll, I'll run with her. I'll run with other people. And, uh, and I do still enjoy it when I do do it, but I don't, I don't do it very often. So not, not a lot of running going down. You've got a lot of muscle memory. I will <laughs> yeah. guarantee you that there aren't many people that spend as much time in a weight room as you do who could go out and do a 44-mile run. Like <laughs> yes, yes, I know. It's actually kind of frustrating, you know, because it's like some things come so easy. It's like It's like I can train so hard in the weight room and yet like be just – you know, relatively strong to a normal dude, but compared to like a, an actual power lifter, I'm not strong at all. Whereas like I can just diet down, run a couple times a week and be able to run a sub five minute mile. It's kind of frustrating, like how, how easy the running comes and how hard the strength comes. But you know, that just goes to show like with genetics, like that's definitely a part of it. You know, like my dad used to always say like, anyone can be a good runner, but if you're going to be a great runner, like a world-class runner, you do have to have the genetics to go with it. And it's certainly, it's really like that with strength training and powerlifting in general. It's like genetics is a huge, huge thing there. So um, it's it's weird to be going from one thing where I was genetically gifted in it to something totally the opposite where I'm not genetically gifted at all in it and at a huge disadvantage. But it's kind of fun to see like, hey, like I can still like get generally strong and generally bigger, um, you know, just based on training and nutrition and sleep and dialing in those things. So it's kind of a fun experiment, you know, it's like, let's see, let's see how big and strong a 204 marathoner can get. And, you know, no one's ever really done that before. So it's kind of a, a unique experiment of one that, you know, I'll ride it out and see the good thing about strength gains is, you know, you look at a lot of like the world's strongest men competitions and powerlifters, and a lot of those guys are older, you know, you can continue to strong um pretty late if you can keep yourself healthy so i'm hoping i still got you know i'm 30 38 just turned 38 so i'm hoping i can uh you know keep getting stronger as the years go by and get up to that 500 pound deadlift that's the goal so that i mean that's pretty close to your deadlift right oh yeah yeah that's about right i thought i saw mine is 30 30 pounds (laughs) (laughs) i thought i saw a video of you jeff pulling 600 the other day 
No, sure uh, that was my surrogate. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, this is your twin brother, right? <laughs> Have you ever deadlifted in your life? I did actually. When I was in college, I uh, I spent some time in the weight room, and uh, it got to be sort of a a macho thing, you know, with some of uh, our athletes on the track team. And uh, believe me, we were so terrible. And and we <laughs> laughed about that. I, you know, it was really a, a neat bonding experience, as you say, to fail. And we sure yeah. did. Well, um, you know, a, a theme in your life is, is now helping others. And we need to know about the Hall Steps Foundation. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of like the first time like things got really real with like, how can you actually like tangibly help other people through running, you know, like it's great to help people through running via coaching and books and podcasts and all that is phenomenal and like not downplaying that at all. But there's also like a way to like actually add years of lives to people's life on the other side of the planet because a group of people decide to do a run together, a race together, Chicago marathon, whatever it is and fundraise for that. And then they can bring clean water to people on the other side of the planet. And that's what happened, you know, back in, I think it was 2008, uh, Sarah and I, we were kind of team captains for team world vision at the Chicago marathon that year. And we helped raise enough money along with like 500, 500 other runners who ran the Chicago marathon and fundraise to bring clean water to other runners in Zambia, not to other runners, to other community, another community in Zambia. And, uh, and we were able to do that and brought clean water to 90,000 people. And that was such a transformational thing for me. I remember I ran in the Beijing Olympics and was super bummed out, you know, after my race, I was hoping to get a medal, ended up 10th. It's funny how like you, at the time it seems like so like oh man like you're so bummed out like depressed whatever and then looking back on now you're like 10th place wasn't that bad (laughs) you know not that big of a deal um but anyways i was kind of going through this like post olympic depression kind of thing and then we went over to zambia and we got to visit uh you know they just put in boreholes to bring clean water to these people and we got to visit them and go to a borehole uh ribbon cutting ceremony and i remember just talking to like a local villager and he's like i'm so grateful that you guys brought clean water to us like now like everyone in my community their life expectancy is expected to go up by 10 years i was like how crazy is that you know it's like we can all like run a race for a purpose do some fundraising along the way and now like 90,000 people, every single person is going to live 10 years longer. And that was because of a race inspired that, you know, and like, so that just like totally shifted my perspective of, like I said, how you can tangibly affect someone's life through running. So that's why I always encourage people. Like if you're looking for motivation to get out the door to train for your next thing, like what pulls on your heart and like find a charity that is involved with that and run for that charity. Like there's nothing more motivating than that. So, you know, Sarah and I, we're still connected with uh, World Vision. We love the work they're doing. But we also started our own foundation, the Hall of Steps Foundation, just so we could partner with a variety of different organizations. Like we're working um, with an organization in Ethiopia right now, and uh, they're taking kids off the street in Ethiopia. And like, it's actually like a rehab process. Like first you have to take these kids off the street because they've actually chosen the street. So you have to show them like the street is not the best place for them, right? And so they're doing this whole like, like 
work with these kids of bring them off the street, showing them like how much better it is to live in a home and within the context of family. And so we're, we're partnering with other organizations like that. And it's kind of cool. Like people can run any race that they sign up for and run for the Hall Steps Foundation if they're interested. So they can check it out on the, the hall foundation.org, the hall steps foundation, sorry.org is our website and, uh, and they can sign up and do fundraising. And the cool thing about, you know, our foundation is we're not making money off this thing, you know, like it, it's run by mainly Sarah does like almost all the work and, uh, and we don't have any paid staff. So literally every single dollar that people are raising are going hundred percent towards the projects that we're partnered with. And we've done other stuff as well. Like, um, we helped build a health clinic in Kenya with my friend, Wesley career, who won the Boston marathon in 2014, I believe. And so we've done some pretty cool projects and, uh, are, are looking to continue to do stuff, um, internationally and abroad and, um, continue to just, you know, let running be a vehicle of change for other people and bring literally like years of life to other people as a result of running a race for a cause. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. You're making a difference in a really neat way. Yeah. Thank you. We're trying to do our part, you know, I'd read somewhere that you guys had possibly had a thought of living in Ethiopia um, where your girls are from. Is that still on the table in the future? It is if our house ever gets done. <laughs> so we, we, we bought a house uh, just outside of Addis where a lot of the pro runners train. Um, who is it? Kenanisa? No, Kenanisa? No, Haile. He has a training camp right next to our house that's being built. And uh, it's been, been being built for like two years. And we spent a lot of time training over there and just fell in love with the people in the country. And, and there's so many talented runners over there, you know? So, um, I'd be, I'm a, I got a little bit of curiosity, you know, being surrounded by so many dominant African runners and having watched them train, like they, their, their approach to training is very different than the Western approach. And I don't know the answer to this question, but I'm curious, like, is how they're training optimal or is how we're training optimal or is it a mix of the two, you know, like it doesn't have to be a dualistic either or question, you know, like it could be like a mixture of the two, but I'm just curious to like, if a Westerner were to go over there and implement Western style training, what would the results be? So um, that could potentially be something Sarah's always like wanted to um, provide school opportunities for kids on the street. You don't have the opportunity to go to school in Ethiopia. So that could be another something we get involved in, but we're just, you know, getting to know the landscape, getting to know organizations that are doing really effective work over there and, uh, and partnering with them as well. So, um, but yeah, we do have a place over there and at some point you could see us over there. Our kids are in school here in the States and they, they love being in the States. Um, they love going to school. So, uh, we might have a hard time convincing them, but, uh, Lily, our youngest, she's in fourth grade now. So it won't be too long till we're empty nesters, even though we just kind of began our nest five years ago. So Addis Ababa is about 7,000 feet as well. So you guys seem to like the elevation. Where are you guys training right now? We're, uh, we're in Crested Butte, Colorado. 
So we're just trying to get some like a we call it like super altitude training. Yeah. So you know we live in Flagstaff, so we're at seven thousand, and uh, so we come up here just to try to. So we're sleeping at like nine thousand four hundred feet, yeah. so just to get a little extra boost for Sarah because she's been training up at altitude for a long time now. You know, so she tends to respond really well when we come up a little higher, do some workouts up here. So, and yeah. Jeff, I know you did some uh, altitude training in Colorado, right, during your day. Actually, we uh, were pioneers in the U.S. I mean, there were a lot of, uh, there were several international athletes before us, but yeah, we went up to Vail for eight weeks. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm totally convinced that it pushed me up to the next level. Totally. Yeah. How high is Vail? It's pretty high there too, right? 8,200. Although we did some runs that were higher than that, but we slept at 82. Uh, and then in, in 76, I went to Flagstaff. I, I went there. Oh, did you? Oh, nice. Trials and trained up at Flagstaff. So I, uh, it was a different right. place then, but it still was a great place to train. Yeah, we love training there. It's like not as like epically beautiful, some like the Colorado mountains, you know, but there's just dirt roads everywhere. And just logistically, it's super easy with Phoenix right there and drop down for workouts and stuff. So yeah, we love training there, but it's nice to get to some flat area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some flat dirt roads you can run on and stuff. So, but yeah, always good to get up to Colorado to some real mountains, you know, (laughs) Beautiful. What, what, yeah, what, what, why do you guys choose Flagstaff? So we had done some training there, um, starting in 2010 and we kind of go back and forth between Flagstaff and sea level. So, you know, Jack Daniels was up here. So we were staying at his house and, um, got to know him and we're, he was, he'd even like come to my workouts every once in a while. So good dude. And just like kind of fell in love with the, with the community of runners up there. And then another big thing is there's a uh, John ball. He does like a chiropractor slash therapist is down in Phoenix. And we were flying out to see him like once a week. And so we got kind of sick of that. We're like, well, if we can just be in Flagstaff training, just drive two hours and get down and see John. And uh, he's just one of those guys who, you know, if you have something going on, the chances of him being able to put you back together is pretty high. So for us, you know, keeping Sarah healthy is such a big priority that that was also kind of a big factor as well. And finally, to wrap things up here, tell us a little bit about the Run Free podcast. It's been good, you know, like it's been kind of just like a steady, like kind of, progression i'd say you know like i was kind of expecting i don't know what i was expecting i've never done a podcast before you know but like really so my podcast so we started a coaching business run free training and so like it's kind of our approach to training is like this whole holistic approach so we look at like an athlete's nutrition we look at their form we prescribe weights we look at like their sleep patterns like so we're trying to like dial in every single area of their life and things that are going to influence training and so one of those is obviously like what's going on in your head, what's going on in your heart. So the podcast was just kind of like a way for me to talk to our clients specifically about how to deal with negative thought patterns and having helpful mantras that will help you in the middle of your race, just stuff like that, you know? So, um, that, that was kind of like the heart behind like why even start the podcast. Cause there's already, you know, a lot of podcasts out there and a lot of great ones. So I wasn't necessarily looking to like, you know, go compete against other people. I just wanted to like offer helpful content to our clients and our runners. So that's kind of where, where it started. And, and, you know, I do like mix in some like fun interviews and stuff. So yeah, it'd be great to have you on Jeff. 
Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. And check out Ryan's Run Free podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcast. And as always, you can do it. Started in the eighth grade, running with some friends of mine. Yeah.